Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. We're accustomed to having limits, speed limits, screen limits, dessert limits. You can go fast, but not that fast. You can be on a screen, but for not that long. And you can't have 12 Oreos for some reason and one sitting. Limits create boundaries and expectations. They help us organize our lives and world around us. So we know. We know what's safe. Or when we're getting close to danger, they allow us to kind of structure and organize the things around us. And boundaries, they can be an incredibly helpful way for us to create and maintain healthy relationships. Boundaries help us to to have healthy relationships or healthy balances in work life and family life, for instance. Boundaries are a good thing. And so when Peter comes in and says, hey, Jesus, what if we extended our boundaries to seven times to forgive someone who sins against me, who does wrong against me? And when Jesus comes in and essentially says, there are no limits to forgiveness. This is a limitless thing that must be done. Gives our ears pause. Because is Jesus asking us to live in an unhealthy place, to to have unhealthy relationships with people who continue to sin against us? Jesus said, not seven times, but 77 times. If there is an area in our life that needs limits, that ought to have limits, forgiving other people who do us wrong or who sin against us, this is an area in life that we would say, yeah, this this area needs limits. This ought to have boundaries so that we can create healthy relationships. But Jesus said, not seven times, 77 times. Um, you may remember there used to be this sport called baseball. I haven't forgotten. I miss it dearly. In baseball, there's three strikes. Every batter gets him, three strikes, and you're out. So you have room and space. You have opportunity to get on base, to get a hit. But when you hit the third strike, there is no more wiggle room. It's over. You are out. And so Peter, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, comes to Jesus, says, Jesus, if someone has three strikes, what if I gave them seven strikes? That would be generous, wouldn't it? We could go above and beyond because it would seem to me that being a disciple of you, being a disciple of Jesus, you want us to live differently, act differently. So instead of three strikes... What if we gave seven strikes? That would be incredibly fair and above and beyond generosity. And Jesus comes to Peter, answers, responds to Peter, says, your seven strikes, those are, it is fair. That is generous. But being my disciple, my follower, living into the Jesus way of life, it doesn't have limits. You want to give seven strikes? 
How about 77 strikes? Now, I know it's been a long time since you've seen a baseball game, but we would never get out of the first inning or possibly the first batter if we had 77 strikes. So Jesus isn't pinning a certain number. He is creating absurdity to give his answer. That your generosity of going from three to seven is just that. It's generous, but there is something more here. It is forgiveness cannot be measured or called into strikes. That cannot be viewed in a strike zone kind of way. It cannot be viewed as you being generous. Forgiveness can't be measured. It can only be lived. Now, I think ultimately this is Jesus' answer and reply when, he's, when Jesus said, not seven times, but 77 times. It says, Peter, you are generous, but you're still measuring out forgiveness. You're taking the measuring cup and you're pouring in and you're making sure that they get just enough. And even here, a generous amount of forgiveness, but you're measuring it out. And Jesus' absurd answer, not not three, not seven strikes, but 77 strikes is not about measuring them out. It's about being absurd and illogical. It is about limitless forgiveness because it's not about measuring out. It's about living out. Jesus said, not seven times, but 77 times. And he goes on to tell a parable. And it's a parable that we have to pay attention to because it's very enlightening. Now, Jesus' answer in the parable solidifies his answer in verse 22. The parable will solidify that answer, but Jesus' answer in verse 22 comes out of the previous verses in Matthew chapter 18. And I want us to pay attention to this context for just a moment. I want to kind of widen the scope of why Jesus would say what he says to get to the point that he makes in the parable that follows, that solidifies his answer. In Matthew chapter 18, very much so in my, in my view, is one, is one scope. This goes together. This chapter very much goes together. And this is how the chapter starts. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the twelve disciples with their rabbi, their teacher, Jesus, they're around him and they asked Jesus, We've been paying attention to you, we've noticed, and we've, we've listened to you, we've tried to soak up all your teachings, and so we want to know in this kingdom that you are ushering in, who's the greatest? Because surely we're the greatest in this kingdom. Surely you're going to give us our own territories to manage. Surely you're going to look at us and say, you guys have gone above and beyond. Here are the promotions. Your position and your prestige and your power and your influence will do great in my kingdom. So Jesus, who is the greatest in this kingdom of yours? Now Jesus takes this question and the answer that he gives does not suit the question to which the disciples ask. He goes on to answer the question. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And 
Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The question wants to know about position, prestige, power. And Jesus answers not to give position, but I think he answers to give posture. You see, I think what we have overall here is a conflict of position versus posture. We have position versus posture. There's a wrestling match here. The disciples are thinking in terms of position. Surely there is a hierarchy in your kingdom, and surely we are in a powerful, prestigious, influential position, because surely your kingdom cannot operate without power brokers, without political maneuvering, without the wisdom and the cunningness of your disciples. So surely your our position is solidified in your kingdom. And what is Jesus' response here? My kingdom is not position, it is posture. Lowly position. You're thinking like an adult who has influence, who has cash in their pocket, who has wisdom, who has opportunity. You're thinking like an adult who can build prestige and influence amongst people. And Jesus says, those in my kingdom that are the greatest, using their question, they're like the child he put on his lap. This lowly child. This child who's fully 100% dependent on other people. This child who has no power, has no influence, and most certainly has no cash in their pocket. This child is the representation of what it looks like to be great in God's kingdom. Matthew 18, 6-9, Jesus immediately describes what harm it is for those who create stumbling blocks for his children. It's better for you, Matthew 18, Verse 8 and 9, he says this two different times, it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown in eternal life. Now Jesus illustrates and he, and he elevates posture in this life that it's not about position and, and the way you look and function in this life. It's about your posture in God's kingdom. And it's better for you to lose aspects of this life in this world than to, uh, to not be in the posture of God's kingdom. And he goes on, Jesus asks what a shepherd would do if one of his sheep, of his hundred sheep were missing. They would go find it. And he says in verse 14, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. That the great God himself is not worried about position of his sheep. He's worried about their presence in his flock. This is a posture answer. That God will come after you. God cares for you. God will be there for you. This is the Father he doesn't care about your position and your influence and your prestige and your politics. He doesn't care about your two cents. He cares about your posture towards him. 
And then the verses right before uh, Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Jesus gives clear instruction to how his people should confront sin in the life of their brothers or sisters. If your brother or sister sins, and the verses, verses 15 through 20 go on, you should do it one-on-one. Confront the person and the sin and the harm that they are causing in their life and other people's lives. And if that doesn't work, take two others with you from the church, three-on-one. Go and press them. Continue the conversation with the person who is in the wrong. And if that doesn't work, the church, the community needs to know about it. And in Jesus' response to this, he says, in this very practical passage, he says, if that doesn't work, you don't discard them. You treat them as one who's an outsider. It's not a giving up of hope to this person. No. It is they are an outsider, not one part of the kingdom or the community, and they must be treated as such. One with hope that they will know, they will learn, they will repent and confess. And then Peter asks his question. Now, this position versus posture conversation very much is a part of Peter's question and Jesus' answer in verse 22. You see, the, the, the position is how we view things. Well, who's on top and who has the power and who has the influence? And Peter uh, and the disciples at the beginning of the chapter ask a position question. Jesus gives posture answer, answers. And here in verse uh, 21, they, get, they ask another position question and Jesus gives a posture answer. Because forgiveness isn't measured. It's lived out. See, if you measure out forgiveness, if you're going to measure out forgiveness, if you're going to pour it in and make sure they get just enough, even if it's a generous amount, then it's about position. You are the one with all the cards and the power. You are the one who gets to decide if they get to be forgiven. And if they've reached their limit, no more. That's a position mentality. Jesus says, what about posture? What about posture? It's not seven times. It's not three times. It's seven. It's an absurd amount of times because it is about you and your relationship, not only with that person, but with your God. This is the God who leaves the 99 to find you. This is the God who's concerned so much for your soul that he's asking you to give up this world and parts of this world, if need be, to be in his flock. This is the God who says, you know what? People are so worth it that we must do everything we can to show them, to share with them this great love, this community that we have in the church, to go to them. And forgiveness isn't something that we just measure out, that we limit out, that, that we pass out when we desire. It is a lifestyle that must be adopted by Jesus' followers. Position isn't anything in God's kingdom. Posture is everything. God's place and God's position matter. Our posture 
to the shepherd and to the king that matter. So Jesus said, not seven times, 77 times. And I want to make one small side note. We don't have a lot of time and we're not going to deep dive this right now. But Jesus' answer is not a forgive and forget theology. It is That is bad theology. Forgive and forget. It's harmful. It's dangerous. And can be deadly in some scenarios. Forgive and forget says, well, I'm going to keep forgiving you and you get to keep on living out your sin. Jesus says, no. Not seven times, 77 times is about your posture towards God. That mercy is at the very heart of who God is and mercy ought to be at the very heart of who my children are. Not measuring and limiting and, and giving out as they see fit. Your posture towards God. But... We know that there are consequences in sin. We know this. And those consequences don't go away even in forgiveness. You see, we can't forget. And it doesn't need to be forgotten because sin changes the course of not only our lives, but other people's lives. Consequences are very real. I remember reading the story about a woman named Sandra Walker. Sandra Walker and her husband were in a very bad car accident. Her husband died, and she uh, she suffered very uh, severe brain injury. The woman that was at fault and killed her husband and severely injured her, the, the woman who left Sandra with two children and a devastating brain injury for the rest of her life, was on trial. And Sandra had an opportunity at the trial, as it's reported, to speak directly to her. And Sandra said to her, I know she's going I know what she is going through because of the pain that I am feeling. I wanted her to know that I forgive her for what she did. Sandra knows more better than any of us that the consequences of her sins will forever live. And they will last for generations. Forgiving her 77 times or infinity, multiple times, forever times, out of a posture of forgiveness does not take away the consequences of sin. If there is sin going on, repentance is necessary. And a community willing to go to the person in love and care one-on-one, three-on-one, and as a church, if need be, go to them to confront the sin issues. It is vital because the consequences of sins will live on. Our forgiveness, however, is not dependent on. It's not based upon. It's not looking towards one's repentance. It's about our posture and our prayers and our hopes. Repentance and confession will happen. And so our posture matters. Our posture towards our God is vital because forgiveness, it's not up to you and it's not up to me to measure out. It's about me living it out. 
when I have opportunity. And probably in those opportunities when I think it's not worthy of it. Posture says, my posture towards God says, forgive. Now that leads us to Jesus' parable. So Peter asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And Jesus goes on and says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in the prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in, You wicked servant! I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now before we read verse 35, the last verse of the chapter in Jesus' parable Before we get there, we have to remember this. We have to remember that it's a position and power argument. It is a position and power thought process. This is a God who has forgiven an enormous amount of debt and sin in your life and in mine. We want to know who's the greatest. Where do I sit with you? Where do I stand with you? What kind of influence and and power? Who can I be in charge of? How can I influence my agenda so that we can take care of good things in your name, Jesus? That's a position mentality. And so much of our world and so much of this, this upside down time that we find ourselves in is about position. Who's in the right and who's in the wrong? Who's doing it correctly and who's doing it the wrong way? Position focus takes us away from the very heart of who our God is. And the very heart of who our God is, is he accepts the repenter. He listens to our confessions. And he cancels our debts through his son, Jesus. This father, this king, this master is concerned with our posture, coming to him 
perhaps on our knees, perhaps bowed before him, perhaps coming to him in humility and perhaps at times in fear because we don't know what will happen next. This God's worried about our posture towards him because this is the God who will leave the 99. This is the God who keep cares deeply for our souls. This is the God who wants us to live out his life, his love, his care, and the greatest command. Love the Lord your God and love other people. Go to them and share with them and help them along in their sin, in their sin against you. Help and pray and care. It's about posture. And it's here. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And I don't know. I don't know what relationships in your life are difficult or hard. I don't know what strains there may be between you and family members or old friends. I'm not sure what grievances or heartaches have happened in those moments and those lives, but I do know this, that when we change our posture and stop worrying about our position and we work and strive to forgive and to live forgiveness and not measure it out, our Father will forgive us of our sins. This great king and master, this great shepherd, this great savior that we follow, he'll be with us and he'll guide us. And so this morning during this worship, I want to pause. I want us to take a moment to change our posture. If you're able and willing, I want to invite you to quite physically and literally change your posture right now. Perhaps it's standing up. Maybe you want to stand up with your hands raised to your Father. You could change your posture by getting on your knees, getting on your knees and bowing to your Father. And I want you to know that whether you're with family or whether you are alone during this worship, that changing your posture, even for just a few moments, can be a very practical way of connecting what Jesus is teaching and sharing his answers of posture in Matthew chapter 18 to our lives today. Because this is a heavenly father who forgives you. And living out the Jesus way of life is forgiving others. So I want to create, not, not, I want to ask that you change your posture if able, but I also want to create some space for us to pray. And I'm going to invite you to pray. You may want to do this with your family if you're worshiping with them. You may want to do this as an individual in this time, but I'm going to create uh, I'm going to create some space here in worship for us to change our posture and to pray and to be in the presence of our God to ask not only for our forgiveness, but to begin to wrestle with what it might look like to live out forgiveness from this posture that we are in. Let's pray to our Father.
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Music